here. Um, now, so today, so I needed to have a topic today. And so what I chose to do is, is do more like a big picture vision type talk today. And so today we're going to discuss something very near and dear to my heart, and it's the topic of community. But before we dive into that, I want to take a step back and just look at uh, the bigger question. And the bigger question is, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus? And at TBC, we have defined this in three ways. Go to my next slide, please. We have said that we think there are three main things that are a part of someone's life if they're a follower of Christ. And the first one is surrender. The first one is surrender. And we think that's important because there are so many people that just kind of end up going to church, especially here in the Bible Belt culture that we live in. There are people that just say, yeah, we go to church because this is what, this is what our family does. And there are many people, I think, around here that go to church but have never really surrendered or submitted their life to him. And they're not following him. They're just going to a church building on Sundays and hearing a sermon and singing some songs. So if, if, you, if you think for a minute that you become a believer by attending a church service, let me correct you right now, that's wrong. There needs to be a time in your life where you say, I realize I'm a sinner separated from God because of my sin, and I want to fall on my face before him in worship and surrender my life to him. And I want him to be Lord of my life. He's my king. He's my king. There needs to be a time where that happens in your life, right? Surrender. The second thing is community. And we'll unpack this more this morning. But the basic idea is, are you living a life with other believers, other like-minded believers that are spurring you on towards Christ-likeness? That's community. That's community. And then lastly, mission. The Christian life does not start and stop with surrender and community, but it goes on to mission. Do you see yourself as living a life that is trying to involve others, include others, and spread the gospel to them? Do you have an outward focus to other people and not just on yourself and not just on the people in this room? Are you mission-minded? And so today we're going to really focus in on this idea of community. And so go to my next slide. What, first question is, what is it? What is it? It's really just a fancy way for me of saying friendship. But it's not just the kind of friendship that you might be thinking about. It's what I would call Christ-centered friendship. It's what I would call a friendship that the purpose of it is, is Christ-centered, it's Christ-glorifying, it's Christ-honoring. This is someone that you're not just friends with, but you're friends with them in such a way where they are spurring you on towards Christ-likeness. The friendship is Christ-centered. Now, the friendship can still have issues and problems and whatnot. That's a part of community as well. But the big picture is this person is in my life because they are helping me become more and more like Jesus. This group of people is in my life to spur me on towards in my walk with Christ. And so um, I can think back to my college days because college is a great time of life because it's what I would call it's the, uh, it's the, it's the most amount of fun with the least amount of responsibility, right? There's that balance there. And uh, you're out of your parents' house, so they're no longer looking over your shoulder like, what are you doing, right? 
Um, well, maybe somewhere, I don't know. But, but there's that, that freedom, but there's also a, a different kind of responsibility there. And so when I was in college, I lived with a bunch of guys in a house and about 10 guys in one house, which I don't recommend for anyone. And the house just had this awful smell to it. That was the first thing that I think back on. I had this awful guy smell. I mean, ladies, just a word of warning. When you get to college, and if you have a boyfriend or a fiance, and you go visit him in their apartment, I'm just going to say stay out. Just don't go in there, because it's horrifying. The smell is horrifying. I'm actually convinced that God placed females on the earth to balance out the smell thing. I really believe that. I really believe that. So we live in this house with a bunch of guys, and one of the guys in that house was a guy named Casey Burke, who you guys know. He's a, the, the family pastor here at the church. And Casey Burke, if you don't know Casey, Casey is a big prankster, right? Like, that's a real surprise, right? So he, um, he was the prankster of the house, and he would do things like this. Like, you'd be um, in the shower, and he would, like, get an ice-cold cup of water and dump it on top of your head while you're in the shower. And if, I don't care how manly you think you are, nothing will make you scream like a girl than that, right? Something else Casey did in that house was he, uh, we had this other guy in the house named Charlie. And Charlie was kind of an odd guy. He was this little short guy who played the guitar. And um, he collected Star Wars everything. Like his room was just like decked out in Star Wars, like statues, everything was Star Wars to him, right? And Charlie actually, um, I had this theory that if you put a guitar in a guy's hands, girls like him a lot more. Is that true, ladies? Not no? Of course you'll say no right now. You know it's true. So, so Charlie played the guitar, and he had this uh, girlfriend named Shelly. And Shelly would come over, and, and we had this uh, front porch that wrapped around our house, like a big uh, open front porch. And so the front porch had like a roof to it, and you could walk out from the, um, the second floor out onto the roof and be out on the front porch roof, right? And so one night, Charlie and Shelly are having a moment on the swing out there on the porch, and Casey goes, Dave, I have an idea. Water balloons. And I'm like, is he serious? And sure enough, he was serious. And so he got water balloons, and we're about to crawl out the window, and I'm like, I'm going to bail on this because that guy's going to kill me, right? And so, but Casey, no. Casey never bails on anything. So um, he runs down the roof. He, he, he looks down uh, over Charlie and Shelly. He throws water balloons right in their laps, right? They explode. Casey runs back up the roof, dives through the window, and he's just laughing uncontrollably on the floor, right? At which point we see Charlie already has gone up the stairs, with a pitcher of water, dumps it all over Casey at that point, and then he proceeds to take that pitcher of water and fill it back up ten more times and dumped it all over Casey's bed, right? So Casey's bed at this point is like a sponge. And the entire time, Casey is just laughing at this guy Charlie, right? And so we had a lot of fun in this house. It was a blast most of the time. But um, we also had what I call community in this house. So we'd go from those kinds of nights to, like, talking, um, having deep conversations, having 
life-inspiring conversations, Christ-honoring conversations. might be hard to believe that it would go from that to, like, serious real quick, but sometimes it would. At times it would. And so this house is a, a place that I experienced, I think, great community. And if you take notes this morning, here's some, I'll give you five points to write down this morning, and we'll look at a passage for each one. And the first point is this, is that community stretches us. It stretches us. Look with me at Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, for Christ did not please himself. So you see in this passage right away, that there's this idea that the Bible knows and understands, that Paul knows and understands when he writes this, that the strong are supposed to help the weak. Paul understands, he knows that uh, things are going to happen in the body of Christ that you and I don't like. Things are going to happen in community that you and I don't want to put up with. There are people that we would consider, that we would consider strong, those we consider weak, right? And his point here is that the point isn't that the strong people get upset at the immaturity of the weak people and say, I've had enough of those people, I'm leaving. But the idea is that the strong should help the weak. Now, this does not mean that you, if you see yourself as someone who's stronger, that you go along someone and said, you know, I know you're kind of weak and kind of immature, and I'm not so much, so let me just help you, Right? This is not meant to be done in an arrogant way, but there's this acknowledgement that there are people in the body of Christ that are less mature, those that are more mature. And I've always said this, like I've had parents in the past, this hasn't happened in a while, but um, I first came into the into TBC as the junior high pastor here, and I routinely got parents that would come to me that would say things like, you know, my son or daughter, they want to come to the Outback, but there's just a lot of immaturity down there, to which I said, amen. Yes, there is. But you know what? Here's, here's my question, though. And, if, and many of them would say things like, well, my son or daughter, he's just kind of a, a cut above the rest. And, and, um, and so he's, he's pretty mature, so he really can't handle that kind of immaturity. And I said, my comeback was always this. And it was, okay, well, if your son is so mature then why can't he handle some immaturity in other people, right? If, if he's so mature, why can't he handle someone else's immaturity, right? Because to me, it's a very immature thing to do, to say, I'm so mature, and they're so immature, therefore I'm leaving. That's an immature thing to do. And so Paul is encouraging the Romans here. He says, look, we know this is going to happen in the body of Christ, but your job as the stronger is to help those that are weaker. Those that, are consider, those that think they're more mature should be helping the ones that are not there yet. Not there yet. And look at what this uh, verse says. It says, the purpose of you being here is to build up other people. The purpose for you isn't, isn't just you. It's not just you. It's to build up other people. It says here that Christ did not come to please himself. Can you imagine if Christ 
reacted to our immaturity in the way that we do to other people? Can you imagine if Christ just said, okay, I'm done with these losers, these people, right? But he stepped into a place where, I mean, everyone obviously is a sinner. He stepped into that world to save, to save. And so that's the pattern that we have to think about is, you know, Christ extends himself to us. I'm going to extend myself to other people because Christ did not come to please himself. We don't come in this room to please ourselves. We don't come here to please ourselves. Go to my next slide. The, uh, I want to read a quote to you. Our primary, our primary purpose in community is not that our needs are being met, but that Jesus will be lifted up. The whole point is that Christ is lifted up. That he gets the glory. He gets the honor. He's glorified. Most of us approach church like this. We approach it like a restaurant, don't we? We approach it and we say, okay, well, I'll go, but only if, it's, if my needs are being met. Only if it's happening this way for me. Only if you treat it the same way you treat a restaurant. You go to a restaurant, you say, I like the food, I like this, I like the service, I like that. I'll go back. But when it comes to church... We walk into church with the same mindset, this consumer mindset. It's all about me. How are my needs being met? Never mind how am I meeting someone else's needs, right? We place expectations on other people that we aren't going to do ourselves. We ask questions like, how is someone else meeting my needs? But we're not asking the question, how can I meet someone else's needs? How can I make someone else feel welcome here? And so we approach it with this consumer mindset. The next point I want you to get is this. Community makes us like Jesus. Community actually makes us more like Christ himself. And we see this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. Do you hear what this is saying? This verse is saying that your option, number one, two, and three, when someone wrongs you, is to forgive. Is to forgive. I know this sounds simple. You're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. But here's the deal. How infrequently do we actually do that? How infrequently do we actually forgive someone when they do wrong us, right? We sort of tolerate, put up with them, I'm leaving, I'm checking out because of what they did to me, but how often do we say, you know what, i got to forgive them. i got to forgive. In the same way that Christ forgave me, I've got to allow his power to work through me so that I can forgive. And look at this word, it says, you must also forgive. Forgiveness is not optional. It's a command. It's a, hey, are you calling yourself a Christian? Because if you are, you are saying you have received the forgiveness from God, from Jesus Christ himself. And you can't extend that forgiveness to someone else. The same forgiveness that you've been shown, you can't give that to somebody else. And so in that way, it makes us more like Jesus to be a part of the body of Christ. Because Here's the really crazy thing. When someone wrongs you, when someone sins against you, you get to be Jesus to them. You hear that? Forgiveness is not just a, oh, I have to forgive them. Oh, I guess I can do that. 
But you get to be Jesus to them. When someone wrongs you, sins against you, you get to experience the gospel. Not just hear about it, but experience the gospel when you forgive them. And when they forgive you for something you've done to them, you get to experience, you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's what it must have been like for Jesus. That's what it must have been like to bear sins on the cross. Forgiveness is always painful. I mean, the cross proves that, right? Forgiveness is painful. And at times, forgiveness feels like you're hanging on a cross like Jesus was. But when you forgive someone that's close to you, you get to experience the gospel, and that aspect of community makes you more and more like Jesus. The next point is this. Community is not optional. It's not optional. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, 24, 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. This is the early church, and some people are already quitting. I know most of us think of the early church as being like utopia, like perfect, no problems, and today it's all jacked up. Well, the good news is that it's always been jacked up, right? That's the good news. And the, the, the good news is also that Jesus fixes it. Jesus, Jesus um, does his work in the church, even in spite of us, so that he gets the glory. And so most of us think of the early church as being perfect, utopia, and, but people back then were already quitting on the church. They were saying, this is messed up. These people are weird. These people are losers. I can't hang out with them anymore, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the church and do my own thing. Because I've got, I've got my little devotional time with Jesus. I've got my little Bible time with Jesus. I don't need those people. And so people are already quitting on the church. And the book of Hebrews is written here to encourage believers. Look, this body of believers that Jesus died for, don't give up on the bride of Christ. Think about this. The church is the bride of Christ. Christ ain't giving up on his bride. So why are we doing that? Why do people give up on the bride of Christ when Jesus himself died for her, never gives up on her, and she's still his bride? She's still his bride. And I'll just, I'll just say right now that at some point along the way, or someone's already happened, at some point along the way, something is going to happen in this community among your friends, your peers, that makes you want to forsake the gathering together of yourselves. It's going to make you want to quit. It's going to make you say, you know what, I'm done with these people. I'm done. And if it doesn't happen now, it's going to happen in college. And if not then, it's going to happen when you're a young adult. It's going to happen at some point. And you've got to ask yourself the question, am I going to, am, am I going to be as committed to the church as Jesus is? To where it hurts sometimes. Am I going to be committed in that way? And the way I see this playing out with, this plays out differently for guys and for girls. And I, I, I've given this speech before, but I'll give it again. When, when girls come into high school, they typically come in with, in, in groups of like, what I say, five to seven friends, acquaintances. It's a fairly large group of acquaintances, right? Little clusters of friends. But about middle of the sophomore year is when I say, is when I see a change. Something happens about 
uh, middle of sophomore year that changes that. Whether it's this girl gets a boyfriend, or this girl stabs so-and-so in the back, or this girl did this, or this girl did that. And the friendship groups get smaller about middle of sophomore year. And now you have two or three left of the five to seven that were friends. And this is the pattern that I see, especially in the girls. And what I want to say to you is that I understand life happens. I understand that. But the question you have to answer is, am I going to be just as committed to the body of Christ as Jesus is? Am I going to be committed to it in spite of some of that stuff? Am I going to let that be what drives me? That's for the girls. Now, for the guys, guys don't typically have a ton of relational drama in high school. There's some, right? There's some. But for the guys, the guys just tend to get apathetic about middle of sophomore year. It's like, hey, man, this is boring. What am I doing here? This is dumb. And that's how guys tend to think. So it's not like guys are walking around going, well, you hurt my feelings. That one feeling that I have, he hurt it. Right? That's not what happens with the guys. It might happen for some, but not for most. For the guys, it's just, this is dumb. This is kind of element. This is kind of just foolish. I'd rather go do something else. And so the guys tend to get apathetic around that age. The girls just have a lot of relational drama, and that's what tends to be what makes them want to quit and forsake the gathering together of themselves. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. Listen. We put up with a lot more for lesser causes, don't we? Think about your basketball team, your football team, your soccer team, the band that you play in, the cheerleaders that you uh, lead, cheers, whatever you all do, cheer, I don't know. Do you cheerlead with them, whatever? You play your cheerleading games with them, I don't know. So whatever you're involved in, Here's the question. Whatever you're involved in, are there people on those teams that you don't like? Yes, there is. I'll answer it for you. Yes, there are, right? There are. But why do you keep staying on those teams? Because you really like soccer. You love football, right? We put up with far more for lesser causes. The body of Christ, the gospel is at stake here. And People just so quickly jump ship because I don't like that. I'm, I'm getting off board. But when it comes to something that you like, something that you love, soccer, whatever it is, you put up with so-and-so because you're like, I just really love soccer. Of course I'll put up with that because I love soccer. I love this. So why do we put up with that on a team when we can't put up with that in the body of Christ? Community is not optional. And look at what this verse says. It says, stir up one another. Just look, think of that image, right? When you are around, listen, when you're around people in the body of Christ, there is something that happens. There is a stirring up that takes place that would not take place if you weren't around them, right? 
I mean, how many of you guys have been at home playing video games and you find in yourself this sudden desire to feed the poor? That never happens, does it? Right? But when you're a part of the body of Christ, listen, when you're a part of the body of Christ, there is something that happens in you. You get stirred up to do works for the kingdom. So you come here on Sundays and you're like, hey, someone talked about impact, how that impacted their life in the gospel. I want to do that. I want to go to Ukraine. I want to go to, on a mission trip. I want to go to New York City for a mission trip next summer. And so there's something that happens when you're around other like-minded believers that you get stirred up for the gospel. And when you're not a part of a body of believers and community, that never happens. You never just do that by yourself, right? It never happens just spontaneously. It happens in community. Next point is this. Community is missional. And look at John chapter 13 with me. Verse 34 and 35. A new commandment. This is Jesus talking, so this is really important. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how will people know that we belong to Jesus? Answer me. How will they know? I don't know what you said. It sounded good. By our love for one another, right? So how will people know we are believers? Tell me how. By our love for one another. Catch this. Listen, listen. Really important in this verse. It does not say they'll know you're believers by your love for Jesus or even your love for them, the unbeliever. But it says how you love one another, the community, right? The body of believers. And so here's what it's saying. If we can't display the love of Christ among us, those that we agree on the same things, we agree that he's God, we agree that the gospel is true, we agree that we're all sinners saved by grace. And so if we can't do it right here, then why in the world should someone out there believe it? Why should they? If we can't live it out in here, then why should they believe it out there? Unbelievers should be able to look into the body of Christ and see the love that we have for each other and want to be a part of that. The problem is they very often see the opposite of that, don't they? They very often see a more authentic version of community in their unsaved world than they see in the supposed saved world of the Christians. So why would, why would they want that? Why would they want that? You know, I think, um, when I think of this passage, there's one thing that comes to mind, and it's this. It's Christian t-shirts and bumper stickers. And I'll explain what I mean. Because a lot of Christians today think that the best way to share your faith is through wearing a t-shirt or slapping a bumper sticker on your car, and that's it. That's what it means to be missional, share the gospel. And so I've got a couple that I want to make fun of today, um, actually, on, on the screen here. So um, there's one Christian t-shirt that I like, and it's this one. 
Because it links back to this, it links back to this verse. They will know we are Christians by our t-shirts. And it's the only Christian t-shirt that I actually like. Because it makes fun of all of the Christian t-shirts. And it also ties into this verse. Because Jesus obviously says, they'll know you belong to me by your love for each other. And so many Christians want to just say, I'll, I'll slap a bracelet on, I'll slap a t-shirt on, I'll slap something on my car, and that's going to be how they know. No, that's not how they know. That's how they get angry at you, right? But the real way that they know is by your love for one another. I have some more bumper stickers for you here. Here's one. In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. Well, thank you for letting us know. Next one. Don't believe in hell. It's still there. You're still going. How is that going to save anyone? How, how is that going to work? <laughs> right? The next one's even worse. Try Jesus. If you don't like him, the devil will always take you back. But let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever seen someone with a bumper sticker and then someone behind them pull over and get saved? Right? No. No. Because that's not how people come to know Jesus. They come to know Jesus through community and the love that they see among the saints. It draws them in. They want to be a part of that. Want to be a part of that. And so um, for my final point, I want to start off with a picture, and we'll get to the point in just a moment. But um, this is the picture. Uh, this is actually in London, and this is a, a little uh, structure here. It's actually an outhouse, believe it or not. It's a bathroom in London, and uh, it looks fine on the outside. Now, how many of you guys, raise your hand if you, if you think you would, if you really had to go, like you would use that facility. Just raise your hand really quickly. Raise your hand. Okay. All right. So with that knowledge, go to my next picture. This is the inside. So, so now, question now, listen, listen, listen. Question, how many of you would use it now? Just that you raise your hand. Of course, Listen, of course, it's all the guys. All the guys are like, now I definitely will use it for sure, right? Um, so, so listen, listen. So this is like a, a bit of a psychological game, right? It's like you know, I mean, you stood outside of it yourself. You know that nobody can see in, but it's the psychological hurdle now that you have to leap over. Can you really go inside and use that facility Knowing they can't see you, but feeling like they're looking at you, right? That's the question, right? So listen, listen, listen. Shh, shh, shh. Listen, listen, listen. I know you're wondering now how in the world are you going to tie this into community? Here's how. Here's how. Listen, listen. There is no question that community makes you feel totally exposed. It does, right? Community makes you feel like, you know, you're totally exposed. It exposes us. The, the great thing about it, though, is it exposes our sin. Community exposes our sin. And as I said before, 
It exposes your sin, and you are able to seek grace and forgiveness from other people in the same way that they can seek grace and forgiveness from you. And so the great thing about living in community together is that when those things happen, when sin rises up, that you are able to forgive. You're able to be Christ to other people in the body of Christ. And it gives you a living analogy of the gospel, a living picture of the gospel when you can do that. And so what I want you to do this morning is we have a few uh, discussion questions at your tables. I want you to go ahead and wrap up with some discussion. And uh, again, if you don't have the sheet, they're up here on my right. And when you're finished, just go ahead and pray at your tables when you're done. So.